0: A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child, to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, holy infant, so tender and mild sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. In the imagination of the author of that beloved Christmas hymn, heaven and earth were filled with peace. The night that Jesus was born, peace surrounded Jesus and his parents, Mary and Joseph. That night, that God birthed into the world this babe called the Prince of Peace. And now one week later, on this first Sunday after Christmas in the life of the church, we encounter the family again. This time, Mary, Joseph, with Jesus are on the run. They're terrorized. They're fleeing their lives from the murderous plans of King Herod of Judea. Where is that once silent night Where is that holy? Where is that peace? On Christmas, God's love broke into the world in a new and glorious way. And today, we're reminded of the reality of evil and how it, from the very beginning, breaks into the lives of humankind, of creation, by humankind. Today, on this New Year's holiday, with all its traditions and festivities, And this week, as we ease or maybe jump back into our usual lives, our post-holiday lives, let us remember together again today the meaning of Christmas as much as we can while considering the holy mysteries of our God. This passage is a hard one, so let us remember what's true, that God came on Christmas as Emmanuel, to be God with us no matter what. Theologian Joy J. Moore lifts up this story, saying that if ever there's a need for a savior, it is now. King Herod was controlled by a hunger for power. The magi, those astrologers we know so well, or often called the wise men. They had just paid Herod a visit in Jerusalem They're looking for the one-born king of the Jews so they can go and worship him. And they're wondering where he is. Well, Herod is unnerved, if we recall the story. He is the king of the Jews. At least he is placed in that post by the Roman occupiers, merely as their puppet king. But he doesn't care. He's king. And what is it these magi are asking? Who is threatening his power? Herod is very aware of the hopes of the Jews for God's Messiah, the anointed one that would come and bring salvation to God's people, restore their freedom and rule with goodness. And in the imaginations of most, this Messiah was to be a military ruler from the line of King David, who would overthrow the brutal occupying forces of Rome. Herod had a lot to lose if this happened. Rome gave him security, power, status. And Herod, worshiping the God of self, will go to any lengths to destroy what threatens all of these things in his life. He's terrified. He starts asking questions, too, about where this child, this Messiah, this would-be king is to be born. And learning that it's in Bethlehem, he makes his plan to destroy all two years old and younger. As scholar Matt Skinner lifts up, Herod understood the meaning of Christmas perhaps more than anyone else in this story, that the hope, peace, joy, and love of Christmas, the utter goodness, is deeply troubling to a world run by a tyrant like Herod. When love is in the air, the world, the room, it doesn't need announcing, it doesn't need words. It is known, it is felt, it is embraced by some, feared by many, especially feared by power. In fear, power will try to defeat love, as we see in the actions of Herod, as we see in the world today still, The daily news confirms it, and for some of us, our lived experience bears witness to it. As for Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, and people the world over, there are so many who are forced to flee their homes, their loved ones, everything they know, their countries of origin, to become refugees merely to stay alive. Some of you here at Knox met some of our asylum-seeking siblings firsthand this past fall at the U.S.-Mexico border while offering relief, aid, and love. We know the reality in our own community of horror, of the high rate of childhood poverty and hunger, and especially during these holiday times of school vacation. We know there are kids dwelling in homes of scarcity or neglect or abuse, when otherwise school could provide a brief respite from these realities. And we know in our own lives the pain and fear that comes with death or losses, unimaginable hardship. We know what it feels like to want to flee or have to in body mind or spirit we wonder if we can survive we may wonder where is God in any of this our scripture from the Older Testament for this Sunday come from the prophet Isaiah chapter 63 and from Psalm 148 both of these texts call us as God's people to recount the gracious acts of god all that is praiseworthy proclaims isaiah and the prophet continues tell the story of all that god has done out of faithfulness and abundant love that in all their distress it was the very compassionate presence of god that shared in their distress and lifted the people up and out and saved them The psalmist sings, sing praise to God who carries us all the days of our lives. For God is faithful and worthy of glory and exalted beyond heaven and earth. So in light of the horrors described in our texts, in light of the tragedies we witness or experience in the world, how do we keep recounting the gracious deeds of God? That is our calling. How do we keep singing the miracle of Christmas and its message of hope, of God breaking into the world, saving us with love, saving the earth, dwelling in our hearts to set us free? In light of today's passage in the Gospel, it's not hard to think about the Holocaust in light of King Herod's atrocities, where millions of Jews and others who suffered and died under the Nazi regime. And I was led this past week to a story about an author who wrote about the events of the Holocaust, events that occurred in a small French village. The author's name is Philip Haley, and he wrote a book called Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed. And he shares his own journey of the struggle to recount the gracious deeds of God as Isaiah says, or to find the good and praise it, as another author, Alex Haley, charges us to do. In light of the cruelty that Philip Haley knew, this was a challenge for him. He was a professor, a philosopher, who served in the U.S. Army during World War II. He was an ethicist who studied cruelty as part of his vocation. And for many years, Haley had tried to objectively understand what cruelty was and what resistance to it looked like. And as he immersed himself in this, as he put it, grisly subject, he found in his words, somehow over the years I had dug myself into hell. I had forgotten redemption. I'd forgotten the possibility of escape having his own experiences of the brutality of World War II in Nazi Germany. He was now studying documents from the Holocaust as part of his work. In his study, he came across a short article about this little French village called Les chambons sur lignon And Haley writes, about halfway down the third page of this little known account of this village, I was annoyed by a strange sensation on my cheeks. I reached up to my cheek to wipe away a bit of dust, and I felt tears instead upon my fingertips. Not one or two drops. My whole cheek was wet. What Haley was reading about was the gracious acts of nonviolent resistance to the Nazi terror by a small, Poor village in southern France located on an isolated plateau in the mountains, a village of just 5,000 people who housed more than 3,500 Jews, mostly children, right under the noses of the Nazis. How was this possible? This is what Philip wanted to know. So he traveled to Les Chambon in the 70s to learn more about this incredible story He learned that this village at the time was 90% Protestant Christian, who under the leadership of Pastor Andre Trochme and his wife Magna were committed to living out their discipleship of Jesus Christ, committed to following the teachings of the scripture. They understood the Jews to be God's chosen people and their faith ancestors. They heeded the great command to love God and love their neighbor with all their heart, mind, and soul. To this village, refugee Jewish children came by train. And under great danger to all involved, they housed, clothed, and fed. They overall care for these children. They educated them. They built schools as a cover-up in which to educate these and hide these children from the authorities and the Nazi authorities would make periodic visits to this town searching for fugitives. The villagers created false ID papers for these children, and they escorted many to the Swiss border to help them cross into safety. How did goodness happen in Les Chambon in the midst of this systemic horror? Why did an entire village of poor French Protestants get involved in helping Jewish refugees? Why didn't Les Chambon suffer the dreadful consequences that other villages in France did, who also opposed the German occupation? This is the thing, members of the Gestapo knew the village was full of Jews. They knew it in detail. But they did not bother to round up all those jews in the village they were seizing jews in france during the whole four years of the occupation how could this be these are some of the questions that haley and the villagers of les chambon continue to ask he writes to understand the story that it's not merely a matter of understanding historical and moral facts It has something supernatural in it. Haley was not motivated by his own religious convictions. So he's being surprised at every turn by the tears on his face, by the supernatural essence of this. And the word miracle is what he and others could only use to describe what happened in that village. Where an entire community gathered together in nonviolent, peaceful resistance to meet great evil with great love, and they saved thousands. In his years of studying cruelty, of what humans can inflict upon others, Haley grew in bitterness toward evildoers, and he became horrified at the growing indifference in his own heart toward murder and atrocities. He wrote, I had dug myself into hell. I had forgotten redemption, the possibility of escape. So when he came upon this story of this peaceful, loving action, those tears that welled up that he never knew he had poured out of his eyes, completely surprising him. What he discovered was redemption the miracle that is Christmas, of love breaking into the world, a love that responds to evil and will overcome it. After his book was published in 1979, Haley shared about some of the letters that he received from those who read it. The first letter he received and shared was one claiming that the reason the world changed was not because of some sentimental story of goodness like this, about little-known villagers in rural France. This letter writer claimed that it was the, the big difference was made due to power and war and the heavy-handed violence that was needed to overcome those atrocities. But then Haley goes on to read about letter upon letter that came in afterwards, claiming just the opposite. One woman wrote to him, saying, thank you for telling this story. Because of that community of Les Chambon, the lives of my three children were saved. Haley, acknowledging the miraculous, does his part to recount the gracious deeds of God, even amid the horror of evil. Love heals. Love wins. Love is God, our Emmanuel, that broke into the world on Christmas and keeps breaking in to be one of us, one within us, one with us to do our life in all its goodness, all the horrible, all the hard, all the miraculous. So today, friends, let's take a moment, especially as we begin a brand new year, to consider what gracious deeds of God can we recount today. I invite you to consider the past day, week, month, even year. And what stands out for you as you ask, what goodness did I see, did I know, or experience? Whatever comes to mind, savor that experience again. And consider, where is God in that for you right now again? God, thank you for the miracle of Christmas, for reminding us, proclaiming over and over, you are our rock, our saving grace, that you are love, the most powerful force there ever is and ever will be. Thank you. Amen.